so hi, one Lego Noise podcast with Violet Knight. Uh, we're gonna ask him some questions today. I'm gonna start. So, what inspired you to start the band, and what does the band name mean? Um, I guess like for me, uh, being in bands has always really just been about trying to inspire other people the way that other bands have inspired us. You know, trying to create like a safe place or a um. For me, music has always been, you know, an escape. People use it as a crutch. There's lots of things you can use it for. So it's kind of um, one of those things that we just kind of started it initially to create that same feeling for other people, hopefully inspire other people. Um, you know, I think that, yeah, there's a lot of comfort and a lot of inspiration. And music carries people through the hardest times, the best times. It carries people through everything. So um, that was basically kind of why we started it i mean i've played in bands since i was just a kid um many different bands this one's the one that's definitely got the most traction as far as like uh it's definitely got some wheels under it now and, and things are going quite well for us um currently um the name of the band oh i don't even know we were going to call ourselves wolves i was gonna it was gonna be just like my name because it was i was in a different band and nobody wanted to do things seriously and so i was going to just quit and do like an indie kind of solo acoustic outing and then my best friend at the time who's our keyboard player now i was like hey man um i'm gonna go record you know you want to go to school to score a film why don't we just do a band and uh and then in 2015 that would have been like in december 2015 so like a late we started and um yeah the rest is kind of just history the name i don't really know where it came from violet was tj's favorite color and he's the keyboard player and we were like we liked violet nights and then we liked a whole bunch of different variations of, of violet with you know play on words to different things and violet night kind of just encompassed the feeling of I don't know how to explain it. Like, you ever seen the movie Drive by Nicholas Winding Wren? Like, that movie? Uh, or, I can't say how. Okay. There's a lot of different films and movies that give us this certain feeling, and that's, like, what we called the feeling, and so then ultimately it's what we called the band. Okay. Okay. Right. That's cool. Cool. Mm -hmm. uh, so, congrats on your upcoming release, Antiheroes. How do you feel your response to the singles so far? Um very positive i mean you know hate me i think is is nearing a hundred thousand spins and it's been out for a month and the first week for if you're the ocean i would like to drown is around 50k um it seems around that uh so it's doing quite well and um right now we're on 10 different editorial playlists by spotify oh nice oh so, it's been getting pushed very hard by Spotify. Um, Definitely. Yeah, so the reception has been crazy. Uh, it's because those two songs in particular are heavier than our usual like music. Like they're heavier, they're darker. Like you know, if you were the ocean, I would like to drown. It's definitely a darker song, kind of heavier. So it's like I did not expect that kind of reception at all. I thought people would hate it, and when it got picked up by playlists and people were like, "This is the best stuff you guys have ever done," I was just like not anticipated at all definitely thought that uh, you know people would be like wow i miss your guys's softer indie stuff i miss your you know whatever so for me it was like i had a pretty deep sense of gratitude and it was like wow people like it you know it's cool yeah 
Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. That's amazing. Yeah. So if people are digging the heavier and darker stuff, is there more of that on the horizon then? Yeah, I mean, the single that we're going to release to... The single we've pitched, uh, the single we're pushing as like the uh, the album release on Friday is a song called Wallflower. And that song is in the same vein as the previous two. Um, the record's pretty all over the map. There's nine songs. Do you guys have the record by chance? Yes. Mm-hmm. We'll be reviewing yeah, okay. it on Monday. Yeah. yeah, sweet. So you know that there's like quite a bit of, you know, there's some indie sounding stuff and there's heavy stuff. So it's pretty, it's pretty wide ranging in scope of sound. So there's definitely more heavy stuff on the horizon, but there's definitely more of what I would say is um, people would be uh, more familiar with as well um, coming. Okay. All right. Wonderful. Uh, so speaking of that record, can you tell me a little bit about your writing process for it and how it evolved from your first release to now? That record, um, this record in particular was different because it was a little more sporadic. I mean, we wrote, I started writing it in 2017. Like we tracked Colors of You, which was our debut LP. And we tracked that, put it out in May of 2018. And you know obviously it was done tracking in like 2017 so i started writing anti-heroes in 2017 and then we wrote i would say half of it and then recorded that with uh with a producer and uh, engineer in um edmonton canada and then we were relocated to toronto and uh i was writing a lot of stuff that i really liked and it was going to be an ep Essentially, this was going to be an EP, and then I wrote these four other songs um, that I really believed in, and we met a really great producer there named Sam Guayana, and we worked with him. Um, I co-wrote the the four new ones with uh, our new drummer, Tay Ewart, which is kind of a cool story about Tay, is that Tay is in the pop-punk band like Pacific, and, and um, I was I was a fan of that, that band. Like uh, I was familiar with them. I would listened to them as a fan. And our manager at the time put out an ad saying, you know, these guys are new. They're in Toronto. They need a drummer. And Tay had heard some of our new stuff and was interested. And then we met and started jamming. And that was pretty cool. And That's cool. he and I had become really good friends. And, and we're now obviously in a band together. And it's uh, at first it was like, you know, like they they just I think they just toured that year with like Good Charlotte and stuff. So it was kind of cool. It was like he's definitely a very professional, very um reliable guy which is great because we've had a lot of drummers come and go but he feels very uh very stable like very dependable which is very important to me because like i'm the first guy to be like uh, because like being the singer and being the guy that kind of i feel like facilitates a lot of everything it's like it it seems like it's always my responsibility to to make sure we have you know a full lineup and all this other stuff and uh with him there's like never any question i just know i can rely on him which is great and so yeah, so he and I wrote four songs. Well, I guess three together. And then one of them, the Super Bloom, is just an acoustic like bedroom thing that I did by myself. And then um, he and I wrote Hate Me, Wallflower, and Ocean together. Um, and it was just, just us having fun that I didn't really consider like, oh, we're going to go do these for the record right away. It was just one of those things where it was like, hey, this is a good time. We're having fun. Hey, we have crazy cool chemistry. Hey, mm-hmm. like, you know, and... and it was cool for me because I've never written in it like on the last records and the previous songs, I generally would never write with a drummer 
mm-hmm. um, because we would just hire session drummers for tours. Like when we toured the States and that, it would just be like hire a session guy, um, you know, and we had a great session player on the record and um, on tours. That's Joel Jeske. Um, really, really talented guy. Definitely more of a session guy. And he's got like a zillion projects on the go. So, you know, he's doing his thing and uh, holding that down. But um, yeah, so for me, it was really cool to have uh, Tay to, to drum, to jam within a room. And I think that having that, you know, having that where we were actually able to interact with one another uh, and collaborate, you know, on the fly, I think it really helped make those songs uh, special. Uh-huh. Wonderful. Not, not to take away from the record. I, I yeah. love the whole record. It's just, uh, I love, I prefer that process myself. Okay. Yeah, makes sense. Oh, that's that's almost like a dream to, you know, have a drummer from a band that you like listened to and maybe looked up to to be like, oh, hey, I'd like to join your band, actually. That's so cool. I don't know. That's wow. Yeah, no, it's it's for sure. Uh, like, I would always listen to their stuff at the gym and, you know, our manager had tour manage them. And I, but I, I wasn't uh, like I wasn't familiar with the band. I didn't know them at all. And mm-hmm. then when when he when he reached out and was interested, I was like, "Well, that's really cool. Like, let's do this." And then I, I would say I was a little intimidated at first, or not intimidated, but like, you don't really know with you know somebody that's like you know they they've been on like Warp tour and his other band Modern Space had toured with like the Arkells and like they'd played at like you know big arenas in Canada. So um, yeah, it just it was a it was a cool thing for sure. Yeah, definitely. So where was your headspace while creating that record? Just about everywhere you could ever be mentally, I would say. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, geez, where to get into it? Like, Evergreen is a song about, you know, like, that kind of push and pull of, you know, let's say you like, are, you know, like you don't love somebody, but you kind of want to, but you don't know where they're at and, there's that kind of uncertainty and that uncertainty is a little bit exciting, but it's also scary because you emotionally involve yourself. I would say like there's songs like that. There's songs like freak me up, which is literally just a narrative written about a guy losing his mind. I mean, uh, the title track is about like mental illness. Um, uh, you know, losing people close to you due to things like uh, suicide. Um, and just how that can profoundly affect you, um, depression, things like that, um, that are obviously, I think, uh, a hard subject sometimes to touch on. But I think uh, if you come from a place of experience and you come from a place of understanding with those topics that uh, the people who are listening that need to hear those songs, they will definitely relate to them. And I think it's very important that those kind of songs make it onto records just because it's something that um, I think can be very beneficial for people that may need that kind of uh, a song, you know? So. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so what band or artist influences do you think you can hear the most on this record? Hmm. Uh, <clears throat> I get told I wasn't, do you know the band Don Broco? Yes. I, I was told that we sound kind of like them, but I'd never heard them. Um, I this is so this would probably be a like whenever I name like my two current like favorite bands for like new material they've been putting out I would probably say the national and bring me the horizon which are two total opposite ends of the spectrum but 
those are two bands that I really love um, the lyric writing of, and I I admire. I mean, they're obviously opposite ends. Yeah, the like it's like a pendulum with those two. But um, I, I love David Bowie, um, Death Cab for Cutie, and Coldplay. Those are like some big all time influences. But I also love a lot of heavier music uh, as well. Like I, you know, I grew up like on like Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge by Mike Chem, stuff like that. All right. Is that um, is that your favorite Mike Chem album? Well, it's the best one, so it ought to be. Okay, good. As as it should be, I agree. Yeah, as it should be, yeah. Yeah, I'll have wholeheartedly. To disagree, but we'll. we'll He's a Bullets fan, yeah, so yeah. just ignore him. <laughs> well, at least it's like the, what I don't get is the Black Parade is a phenomenal record, but it's it's not. It's not better than Three Cheers or, or Bullets. Yeah. Exactly. I I feel like, it, whenever people say that, I'm like, yeah, it's a great record, but it's not. It's and it's not as good, and and it it, it is the one that got the most acclaim for sure, but it's like. I think that the, the deepest, darkest artistry was those first two records, for sure. And I think that... Definitely. Yeah, you know, like, they didn't know they were going to be huge. They just did that because that's what they wanted to do at the time, I think, you know. Yeah, and Three yeah. Cheers put them in the position to make the Black Parade as big as it was, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love I the Black Parade, and I've listened to that record, like, a, a lot, but... Whenever I want to go back to one, it's usually almost always three cheers or bullets. Same. Wait, how do you feel about Danger Days? This this isn't a my chem thing, but just I have to ask. A lot of people hate it. I I, I think it's a great record. Um, I love like the kids from yesterday is probably one of my favorite all time songs. Like that song, especially lyrically and musically, I just love it. Um, mm-hmm. There's there's a handful of songs in there that I feel like aren't as strong. That's the thing, I guess. Like. With Bullets, Black Parade, and Three Cheers, you have these three records where there is not a moment that is, like, not absolutely incredible. I even thought songs like Boy Division from the B-Sides could have made um, Danger Days and, like, taken out a song, like, I don't know. There was a couple songs on there that just felt um, disingenuous to Gerard and the band's artistic creativity, I guess. They just felt a little less driven by the kind of psychotic spastic nature of him as a human being and more driven by like uh like that summer song there it's on there you know it just yeah to me that one just feels kind of like i don't know it's it's a cool song i like it as a mm-hmm. song but i just think when you compare it to the rest of the catalog it's like it doesn't really fit in yes exactly yeah so that, i can agree with that yeah cool. so i love i do love danger days though i yeah like obviously sing na 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 is great um Planetary is great. Um, trying to think. Vampire cool. Money. Vampire Money is very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was cool because like he's got like this when it starts out, it's got like the "You Ready, Boys." Like it reminds me of Ballroom Blitz by Sweet, which is very mm-hmm. you know, kind of throws it back. Did you guys like Hesitant Alien, Gerard's solo record? Yes. Yeah, yes, it's good. I don't listen to it often as I should, but mm-hmm. when I do, it's it's always good. It's always loud. Yeah, no, that record was awesome. I thought too. I. Do you guys think that Mike Tem is going to do a another record, or do you hope that they just keep the legacy intact? What do you guys think is going to transpire with the reunion? Man, as I much like... as I want them to, I don't think they're going to. See, I feel like they are going to because Gerard writes like he rents the whatever like once a week uh, studio, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure once they all get together, they can't help it, you know, mm-hmm. but to throw together like, oh, let's just do a jam session, and then it's like, oh, whoops, we made an album. 
Mm-hmm. Let's release it. I don't know. Maybe that's just me hoping that they release something and I get to experience that. But yeah. Well, before the band broke up, he was on. Uh, you can watch this on YouTube. He was on that show that Kevin Smith does. Uh, you obviously are familiar with Kevin Smith, um, filmmaker, comic guy, one of Gerard's pals, and mm-hmm. and he said like they were talking about this is right before you know Gerard disband like dissolved the band. He was on there talking about how he had this character and everything and this whole big thematic like it was a like big production like the Black Parade essentially all over it again, mm-hmm. but you know obviously different and he had a character and they had a look and then the band came out a few months later and broke up. But I think it's like yeah, I think he probably can't help himself because he's such a creative guy. But it, I don't know, it's hard to say. Like when they did the reunion shows, they looked just like. Um, there wasn't a big, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like they were dressed like three cheers or the black parade mm-hmm. or anything. It was just like, those are the boys, you know what I mean? Just very casual, but there they are. Kind of like Smashing Pumpkins thing, right? Yeah. yeah. I think when they came back. What, did, wasn't that album that he talked about, The Paper Kingdom, which was like the one that they started? Oh, yeah, and then yeah, the only yeah. song that came out was Fake Your Death on the mm-hmm. the, the album thing that they put the out. The 10th yes. anniversary yeah. thing. Yes, that's correct. Wow, I respect you like a lot. <laughs> that was great. You, you, because you know your stuff. That's good. You're not just like, well, Black Parade's the best album because it has "Welcome to the Black Parade." So, mm. yeah, yeah. I just, uh, I'm a fanboy for sure at heart. I, I definitely grew up a fanboy, so <laughs> it's completely valid. Yeah. All right, solid. Um, so back to your work. <laughs> Sure, <laughs> what made yeah. you choose the album name Antiheroes? And is there any meaning behind the cover art? The cover art is a complete reversal of Colors of View. If you look at the previous record's color art, mm-hmm. uh, it's just different tonally. And I wanted something that really heavily contrasted that. And I also wanted something with less color that was a lot more sparse, a lot more kind of enigmatic in itself as a piece of art, you know, more like a. More like Unknown Pleasures by Joy Division, like just less, like less, but memorable, you know, like, yeah, uh, yeah, our guy who did the art is like, he's actually Universal Records um, in-house like cover guy. And he's actually just a, he's a friend of our managers and, um, well, our former manager, I guess we have a different manager now, but at the time, and he's a great guy and he gave us a great deal and he's like, yeah, I'll do your right. I really like the record. And so that was kind of a thing. And um i kind of just explained what i wanted and he gave us a bunch of different things or pieces i guess to consider and that was the clear-cut winner for everyone so we chose it um the title anti-heroes um to me i think part of it is because this record is definitely not what anyone was expecting um because i i'm not like a contrarian by any stretch but i'm definitely a person who um is in music to to make music and to make an art project as opposed to uh, I'm not striving to do something super heavily commercialized or anything like that like I'm not I don't you know like if it ever happens and we can play you know venues that are 2,500 to 5,000 people or bigger and tours and and sustain that that's great but I think that um, for me it's always been most important for the art to come first and to have it be where you're basically writing to try to fit a predetermined uh sound or something just to sell records and make money then it becomes more like a business and less like art and i think that's kind of disingenuous and it kind of is not 
the reason that anyone ever starts writing songs. I mean, in my world anyway, or in our world. Um, so for me, it's just about making something honest people can hold on to. And um, I think that if you do that and you put your best foot forward and you write with that intent that it will um, work and eventually, you know, it will catch and people will listen and um, you'll only succeed. Uh, I think if you try to write, like, let's say you're trying to write for a playlist, you're trying to write for X, Y, or Z. I kind of feel like you'll just get lost in the mix because that's probably what a lot of people are doing. Mm -hmm. And then you don't really stand out as an individual and you kind of just sound like white noise, you know? Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so you called it like an art project. And I think it, it blends well now that you call like your music that your cover art for this <laughs> record blends very well with that because it just kind of looks like a an elementary school art project not in like a bad way that's just kind of like the vibe i get from the cover art mm -hmm, if that makes mm -hmm. any sense yeah no that's that's cool i'm glad that's a cool take to have on it yeah it's, it's fresh and unique and i appreciate it yeah i'm not trying to shit on the art saying it looks like an elementary school art project i'm just yeah. saying that's the vibe it gives me <laughs> anyway finger painted that cover yeah uh my little sister so you said the cover or the album took three years to come together as a whole. Uh, what song took the longest to write on that? And then what is your personal favorite? Mm. What song took the longest to write? Uh, hmm. Probably Antiheroes. Yeah, probably that one. I fussed over that one a lot and... Um, like, you know, a song like Super Bloom, that took like five minutes. I think uh, Ocean took like a week. Hate Me Hate me took like 10 minutes. Because um, Hate Me was never supposed to be on a record. You know, that, that was the song that was like, I wrote it for me for fun. And our manager was like, that's really badass. Like, it's really cool. And I was like, no, 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 it's too heavy. It can't be on a record. It can't. It's not allowed. It's like totally opposite of what we do. I can't do it. And he's like, I'll pay for it. And I was like, okay, I can go on the record. So it's like, you know. Um <laughs> But no, Antiheroes, like, I generally am a guy that will write, like, a song, have a composition, have a lyric, have a melody, and then I will have, um, I will fuss over lyrics until, like, the last, like, until we're in the studio, um, even if the music's written. So, like, when I'm in writing mode for a record, like, right now I've got our next record, I've got, like, 11 songs that I like. And 11? I'll probably write, like, 11 for the next record that, I've, or not, did, I'll probably write, like, 70 or 80 and then pick, like, 9 for the next record. That's, like, how my process is, is, like, for this record, I had, like, three years. I had, like, 80 songs, and I picked 9 um, that kind of all over the map that I liked the most and that I thought had the widest range of influence and also were just the strongest as a, as a principle of just how they were written. Um, yeah. So, wait. So, you said you have, like, 80, 90 songs. How do you go about trimming it down to just yeah. nine that's easy i had to be honest do most uh, just, of them come out like garbage then like how is it no no it's just like certain ones have this thing and i can't really explain it okay but i just know when an idea is worth pursuing in my own head enough i guess and maybe i'm wrong sometimes and sometimes songs don't make the records that should but uh it's usually pretty much a 100 percent internal process and it just like i just it's like an innate thing. It's like a, if I was like on the movie, the sixth sense, I'd just be like, my special ability is narrowing down songs. Really <laughs> okay. And it would be like, not very, a very, you know, very good, you know, plot twist, but it would be a plot twist nonetheless. Exactly. Okay. A plot. Exactly. That is wow. That's great, dude. 
Mm. Wow. Okay. I, get, I get that a lot, but I find that surprising. I just thought that that's what everybody did. I don't think so. <laughs> no. No, yeah. no. I'm just a crazy person, I guess. Like, if I get into writing mode, I will, like, sometimes wake up at three or four in the morning. Like, if, you know, you roll out of bed and you wake up periodically sometimes. And I'll, like, have an idea just pop and I'll just hum it. And then I'll just get up and start writing. Like, it's... It, but... When I'm not in writing mode, I just like I kind of remove myself from it and then recharge and then all right, cool, like lyrical ideas I have, um, you know, and like jot notes all the time for lyrics that are cool that will come in my head. Or like if I have a melody idea, I'll hum it into my voice memos. But other than that, um, I definitely write better and with more purpose if it's like, hey, we have studio time. This is the date. Then it's like, OK, let's go. You know, like, uh -huh. let's let's really hammer it out. All right. All right. Wait. So, are the eighty odd songs that you had written were they like fully written with like melodies and like a chorus and a bridge and opener? Like, was it finished? And then you're just like, oh, yeah. yeah, I didn't like yeah. that one. Yes. Yeah. Like, I think I think if you don't get a song to that point, then it's really hard to tell if it if it's true potential. So it's important to to push it to that place. Otherwise, it's kind of like you might be sleeping on something good. You know what I mean? And I think yeah. if you get to that. Spot. and there's like a, a good skeleton point you can get it to and if you get it to that that skeleton point so to speak um it's really easy to determine for me like you know when the band comes in and collabs when the producers come in and we add additional arrangements and all that kind of stuff is this gonna fly or you know is is it not like so it yeah i don't know um Sometimes I'll bounce like Randor Lynn produced uh, a good portion of this record and all of our work previous. And he's a really good confidant of the band. And when I narrow down some stuff, I will, you know, ones that I know that aren't good enough, I'll ax. And then if I have like, I don't know, some outliers that I'm really indecisive on, I really trust his judgment. And, um, and our producers are good at that too. Like if I really can't come down and say like, I like this one, I like that one. Our producers generally are like pretty, pretty keen on what, what I'm after and really good at helping with that kind of stuff. Oh, wow. Okay. That's crazy. All right. So um, this question should be like super, super quick. I want you to describe this album in three words. Hmm. I have to think about it. It has to be quick, off the top oh, of your head. Quick. Yeah, off, off the top of your head. <laughs> oh, it's like if I if I was like the top of my head, I would say it's it's dark and haunting and hopeful. Okay. Oh, that's wonderful! Wow. Oh, fits, dark, yeah. haunting, hope. I love that so much. Um, so last question about the e or the album. We haven't beaten this into the ground. Uh, how did you pick that track list order? How did I pick it? Yeah, how did mm -hmm. that come about? Well, there was like there was like ten other versions, um, so that that one got picked because for me, "Stay Golden" that song had to open the record. Mm -hmm. I think that is my favorite song. I think "Antiheroes" is the most important song um, I've ever written. I think "Stay Golden" is my favorite. As a fan of music. Uh, the opening track is my favorite uh, off the record for sure. Um, I, I'll be unapologetic about it. Um, with that song, I, I wanted to write something that I felt was in the vein of like the Smashing Pumpkins 1979. Like I really wanted that atmosphere and that mm, uh, there's a certain 
like a sense of wonder when you listen to that song and nostalgia it all kind of like this big amalgamation and you it just wraps together nicely and i really wanted to create that in a song obviously not rip that song off but you use those kinds of ideas and you know you use that kind of a when you go into the writing process so stay golden had to open it um evergreen is really moody and really contrasts stay golden and that's why it's next is it kind of just like it dives you into a pocket it's a lot more moody and a lot darker than the hopeful undertones of the ending of stay golden and then you roll over to freak me up and the reason being is that uh, evergreen is pretty heavily electronic whereas freak me up is too and they kind of just felt like a partner those two songs feel like they're related to each other and it's it's not like every song on the record feels that way so it's it was important to have cut you know songs that felt um like they had a really nice chemistry together be close together and then <clears throat> freak me up fades out really well into the pulsating rhythms of uh if you're the ocean i would like to drown um What's interesting about that song is that the when you start, if you were the ocean, I would like to drown. You hear a squealing, and it sounds like it sounds rhythmic. It sounds like it might be a synth or Pro Tools. Uh, actually, what it is is uh, prior to this, I used to work at a lumber mill, and there was a conveyor belt running that was under a ton of pressure, and it was about to snap. Uh, because of this, it was squealing, and I thought that sounds really cool. We could use that as a sample in a song someday. And so I recorded a voice memo on my phone. We put it in Pro Tools and we manipulated the crap out of it, um, looped it, and then it actually plays throughout the song. And so it's like a very organic uh, sound, that song. Um, that is so cool. That's interesting. The fun tidbit, hey. <laughs> um, uh, Hate Me just felt like, you know, with, it felt like with Ocean, you come out of Hate Me, which has got like a nice steady rock groove. You come out of Ocean into Hate Me, which is like, you know, heavy fast energetic it makes you want to just let loose and really get into it and then after hate me you dive straight off a cliff and into a canyon and you've got super bloom which totally strips away the whole band it's just acoustic and guitar and that's meant to set up the rest of the record and it's also meant to keep the listener you know like if they think that they've got the band figured out it's meant to remind them that they don't um and that we'll do whatever we want <laughs> because that's just how we are after that, we've got Blow, which is like your summer beach song. It's like you're, you know, you pop down in the car with your friends. It's unapologetically written about my first experiences of love. And it's a very poppy energy, a very different all-pop energy for the record. Um, definitely stands out on the record to me as something that I really, I don't think anyone expects Blow uh, on the record for sure. Um, Wallflower. Uh, Wallflower, I think, bleeds nicely of low and picks up the energy again before, you know, diving in anti-heroes, which is um, slow to start, but picks it up kind of like a train picking up speed and over the process of you know, time and stuff like that. Um, and I think it ends perfectly with anti-heroes. And in fairness, every record we've ever done, the title track does finish the record. Um, thing that definitely is not it's definitely intentional like it's like uh, you know um i hope you're well colors of you and anti-heroes so i mean some people are like hey you know they, they they catch on to little things like that and i think when you have these little details you put more emphasis on it gives people 
even more to be interested in, you know, and it makes it even more of an interesting project for people to uh, find themselves in. Yeah. Wow. Mm. For sure. That's uh, crazy. Yeah. So when live shows come back, what three songs from this album are you looking forward to playing live? Uh, we we played almost the entire album at our last live show for like a bunch of fans. It was pretty cool. Um, Bro. So, yeah, it was hype. It was uh, it was cool. Uh, I really like playing Hate Me was a lot of fun. Stay Golden, I really like playing live. Um, and Wallflower. Yeah, Wallflower is a blast. So is Ocean, but Ocean is kind of tough because I switch guitar from like Dirty to Clean a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's just like an interesting, intricate picking pattern. So it's like, <clears throat> it's a lot for my brain to digest between my feet my hands trying to entertain a crowd and sing so it is yeah. a great song but it's like one of those ones that's like you know evergreen is also really rad live um but all of them honestly uh, i don't know if there's a song on there we won't play live but i definitely i definitely um do enjoy playing them for sure okay all right uh so where do you see the band in the next five years you know, I don't know. I guess that's up to the people listening to our music. I hope that uh, the, the record is well received and I hope that, um, you know, we can continue doing what we're doing. And I, I think as long as we're providing uh, music for people that creates, you know, hope and um, inspires them and, and, and they can identify with the lyrics and things like that. I think if we keep doing that, that will only grow and things will only get better for us and we'll tour more and more and um, <clears throat> definitely try to keep reaching new audiences and uh i'm definitely an optimist um i definitely really believe in what we're doing and i know that in today's culture you know i mean it's like oh it's so hard for bands to make it and stuff but i think that if you're really in it for the right reasons you look at guys like bon Iver, you know he didn't put skinny love out till he was like 31 things like that where you just look at uh it's really just about doing something honest and i think that that will get us to our next step and i really think that Obviously, the only direction we can go is up from here. And um, I'm fortunate enough to find myself in a band with um, in management and a whole team that definitely really believes in uh, everything about the project as well. And um, we're definitely humble, though. We're not like we're like the most chillest dudes you'll ever meet. We're definitely not dicks or anything. One hundred percent. No, yeah. uh, we're all pretty like pretty like insecure little babies deep down. But, you know, we, we play enough well. Mm-hmm. All right. okay uh so for the last couple questions we're actually going to shift away from music if that's okay and we're going to go straight to death row so if you're on death row what would your last meal be with a drink with a drink with a drink um i make this really good stir fry and it's like it's super i'm a super healthy eater like ridiculously healthy okay you know what no if we're on death row i don't even care if we didn't help anymore exactly um, mm-hmm. yeah um i don't know i don't want to say something like shitty and get laughed at but like i i have death row food. okay i haven't eaten fast food in four years like i haven't eaten processed sugar in two years so i don't eat anything like that mm-hmm. i'd probably go nuts and get like some pizzas you know like uh, I'd get pizzas and Big Macs. Like I would just go nuts on the junk food if I was gonna mm-hmm. die. I'm sorry, I wouldn't get some expensive meal because when you haven't eaten junk food in like three, four years, it's like that's you know it would be nice. But something really nice like that, or just go hard on that. Uh, yeah, that's all I could think. Like as as shitty as this is, like 
I don't know. If, I, I apologize if you guys are like vegans or anything, but like popcorn chicken is like KFC popcorn chicken. I haven't had that in like five years. I'd probably. Oh no, I agree. Yeah, and like like pizza, like Pizza Hut or like whatever. Uh, Boston Pizza in Canada has some amazing pizzas. I'd probably stuff a couple of those down. Um, <laughs> and for a drink, uh, I I would go with if. Well, I haven't had pop in like yeah five years. Uh, let's go with root beer or cream soda. Solid. Okay. So your body Taste. would shut down before they could kill you. Uh, that's the goal. Yeah, I would actually because I haven't had those things, I'd probably go into like some sort of shock, sugar and sugar induced. No yeah. joke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> so dark. Meal before I die. Exactly, bro. So go out much, your own way. On a much lighter note. Uh, mm-hmm. If you could live in one fictional world for a week, where would you live? Pokemon. I've already considered this question. That was cool. <laughs> if, this world, if this world was the world that we see in the Pokemon anime and games, and we just lived to catch Pokemon, train, battle gym leaders, man, life would be amazing. I'm a big Nintendo, big anime fan, so like that, 100%, that would be the world for me. Okay. Solid. I've, okay. I've considered that, yeah. I, I knew that one, so... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wonderful. So I have the honor of asking the last question, and every single person we've spoken to has actually said it's the most important question. What's your favorite color? Blue. Blue? Specific shade? Mm, like like lightish, like ocean blue. Ocean, ooh. All right. Taste. Solid. Yeah. Uh, so as Gloria said, that's all the questions we have today. Is there anything you'd like to plug? Um... No, I mean, just pick up the record and come to a show. You know, like, if you guys, obviously, you know, you know where you stream music. If you're listening to this, you know where you stream music. Just type in Violet Night, grab our stuff, check it out. I hope it clicks with you, and I hope you enjoy what you hear, and I hope you enjoyed the interview. Um, yeah, other than that, I don't really have anything to plug. I mean, keep uh, keep up on our socials, like our Instagram and all that, and next time we're on tour, if you come to a show, if you dm us i will do my best to meet you and hang out with you because i i think that if people are passionate about what we're doing at least you can do is give back and uh you know meet people for that kind of stuff i've definitely always tried to be the guy to do that and um yeah all right yeah. wholesome well, uh, thank you for so now this has been connor from violet night and uh we're the good noise podcast <laughs>